Uh, Judges 12 says this, The men of Ephraim were called to arms and crossed to to Zephon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites. And the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? And then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? And when he said no, they said to him, Then say Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel for six years, and then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan. And 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons, and he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel for ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Aijalon in the land of Zebulun. And after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel of Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons, 30 grandsons, who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. Then Abdon, son of Hillel the Parathonite, died and was buried at Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to learn from it, to be challenged and encouraged by it, to be convicted by it, God. And we pray, uh, God, during this time that your Holy Spirit would uh, apply this word to our hearts, challenge us, convict us, uh, help us return to you, God. Help us find our unity in you, Help us find our um, wholeness and our peace in you, Lord Jesus. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, this passage uh, reminds me of tolls, toll booths. Anyone have any good toll booth experiences? Anyone like toll booths? You have a good toll booth experience? You have a bad toll booth experience? Really? Oh, well, that's not a toll booth. That's like, that's a bank. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, <laughs> I mean. Anyway, yeah, yeah. You got a bad toll booth experience, Luke? Actually, I was going to say, have we guys noticed that all the Skyway toll booth workers are like the happiest people you've ever met? Oh, yeah, right? I agree. Coming from the north, they were all miserable, but they're really happy down here. Yeah, that's my toll booth story, actually. Miserable northeastern toll booth workers. (laughs) Um, No, a a slight story on it. So, um, Honestly, the, the moment was just funny because, because of the circumstances and the delirium that my friend and I were in at the time that we were meeting this toll booth worker. Um, so we were living in Boston, and one of my friends came up from, he had last been in San Diego, okay? So he's like dipping his toes in the waters in San Diego, and then come to the Northeast, and hadn't been to any of the Northeastern states. So that weekend, over the course of three days, we traveled through all of the New England states. So, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Vermont, 
uh, Massachusetts. And one day we went to a, a basketball game in Amherst, out in the middle of Massachusetts, and we're coming back and got back to Boston uh, on the pike. And as we pulled up to the, to the booth of Boston, the, this toll worker just looks at my car, and I, didn't, I just didn't know how to respond to the way he, like, the force with which he greeted me, okay? Because he was like, what's up, bro? And I was like, I'm just, I'm just, here to, just here to pay my toll like every other car that's been after you. And so, anyway, yeah, yeah, gruff, gruff Northeastern uh, toll booth workers. Um, gotta love when you get to a toll and it's cash toll, and... Uh, you're out of coins, right? And you're just like, well, do I go? Can I find some change under here? What do I do, right? Um, anyway, this, uh, this, this passage reminded me of toll worth work workers as we talk about Sibyleth Shibboleth, the, the test of the tolls of the fugitives of Ephraim. Um, anyway, that, that really has not a lot to do with what we're talking about uh, in the whole of the passage. But uh, we do have this passage, uh, uh, the end of the story of Jephthah, where we have the Ephraimites coming out and challenging Jephthah. So we're going to see that part in verses 1 to 7, and then we're going to see, again, uh, you kind of read maybe the monotony of it over and over again, and this person judged, and this person judged, and this person judged, uh, and talking about how the Lord continues to send his judges to Israel to save them from their oppressors, and what is the result in the heart of the Israelites as the Lord continues to be faithful. So let's jump into verses 1 to 7 and talk through this real quick. Um, Verse 1, Ephraim was called to arms, it says, and they crossed to, to, to Zephon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over and fight the Ammonites and not call us to go? We're going to burn your house over you with fire. So I don't know if you remember this, but just a few chapters earlier, chapter 8, this same group of people, the Ephraimites, came to Gideon and said, Gideon, hey, why didn't you call us to arms? Why didn't you call us to come fight with you when you went to fight uh, against these people? And, and Gideon kind of like resolved it with a, oh, you've done much greater things than me. I don't, uh, don't worry about this, this fight. This is just a small fight in comparison to what you did. And they, they were kind of appeased. But again, we have this group of Ephraimites coming out saying, oh, you, didn't, you never called us. You never called us to fight. We wanted to be a part of the victory and the fight. We, we wanted to come and win this battle with you, but you didn't call us. And it says they came up to Jephthah with arms. Like they called themselves to arms. Basically, they mustered themselves to come and confront Jephthah and say, why didn't you include us in this battle you're going against? Um, what we see here is Jephthah's recollection of the events is very different than Ephraim's. And so we kind of have to test these two against each other and say, Who's, whose story are we going to believe? Um, and one thing I want to note is, like, here's Ephraim, and what do they do when they come to Jephthah? First, they threaten him, like, hey, you should have called us to arms. Second, they say, because you didn't do this, we're going to burn your house over you with fire. You know, these are like brothers. <laughs> They're countrymen. Like, like, they are of the same clan. They're, they're, they're the same family, right? They're, they're sons of Jacob. And here's Ephraim going, I'm going to come burn your house over you, O Gilead, O sons of Gad, right? I'm going to burn your house over you with fire. Um, in a few chapters from now, we see that this is the behavior of the Philistines. When they come to uh, Samson's fiance at the time and say, if you don't tell us what Samson's riddle is, we're going to burn your house over you with fire. And so a trend that we have seen throughout the book of Judges is that the people of Israel 
are taking up the practices of the people of the land. And so here we have the Ephraimites um, coming to uh, Jephthah and saying, oh yeah, because you didn't call us arms, we're going to burn your house over you with fire. Jephthah responds and says, actually, that's not how I saw it happen. Uh, Verse 2, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me. He says, I I did call out to you, and y'all didn't show up. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my own life in my hands and crossed over against the Ammonites. The the Ammonites had spread out along the eastern side of the Jordan as well as into Ephraim and oppressed Israel for a time. And and when when, uh, Jephthah was called up uh, at Mizpah, he came and fought against the Ammonites and had a great victory, right? Remember that from last week. And so um, they had this confrontation. And at this point, uh, you've got... We, somewhere between, I don't know, 10,000 and 42,000, okay, there's 42,000 Ephraimites that die in this instance, so maybe there's more of them that come up, we don't really know, but there are thousands of Ephraimites that come up against Jephthah and say, hey, why didn't you call us to fight? We're ready to fight you now, because you didn't call us up to fight. And so they're, they're at war. Verse 4, then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You're fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And again, we've got to check the history record here because uh, the Gileadites are not fugitives of Ephraim. They're a clan. They're, they're a family of Israel. They were given this land by, you know, by the Lord through Moses and Joshua, said this land east of the Jordan is to Gad. And Manasseh, you got, on the eastern side of Jordan, you've got Manasseh, and, uh, and Gad and Reuben, who all have land on the east side of the Jordan. And these, these families that are related to each other made a, made a witness to one another that we will work together to maintain this land. And so now Ephraim, in the midst of this dispute, is saying, oh, you guys are just fugitives. You're fugitives of Ephraim. You just left Israel, okay? You left us in our land. You're fugitives. You're less. Um... This led me to think, like, are there any scenarios or places like this or areas like this that we go? That area, that's just fugitives, right? And uh, so I didn't do a ton of research on this, but there's probably way more Australian history I could do. But everyone, does anyone know the history of Australia? Settling of Australia? From where? How many? Lots of them. Lots of them, yeah. Basically, anyone who was a pickpocket or a thief or whatever, hundreds of thousands of people in the 1700s were shipped off to Australia to create a penal colony there. And so Australia has been thought of in sort of the global scene as, oh, it's just a a group of criminals. Is that true of all the Australians? No. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) No. Turns out a little later they found gold there and millions of people moved (laughs) to Australia seeking to find gold. Um, but they've been looked down upon, right? History has been forgotten. We're saying, oh, you're just the fugitives of this place. Well, these are not just fugitives of Ephraim. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? Like these are chosen people of God that you are saying, oh, you're just fugitives. So Jephthah and Ephraim, or the Gilead and Ephraim fight at this point. And in verses 5 to 6 we see, or uh, verse 5 we see, And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when, the, uh, when any of the fugitives of Ephraim, so listen to the play on words, there's a couple of them here. 
whenever the fugitives of Ephraim, the actual fugitives, like those who were actually cast out from Ephraim, were fleeing because they were fugitives from Ephraim across the Jordan to another land, whenever they were coming across, this interaction at the toll booth, so to speak, uh, uh, is what happened. So now actual fugitives are leaving Ephraim and say, let me go over. And the men of Gilead said to them, are you an Ephraimite? And he said, no, 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 no. I'm from Dan, yeah, <laughs> or wherever, anywhere other than Ephraim, because you guys are in battle, right? And then he would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And because he couldn't say it right, he'd say Sibboleth. And we don't, really, we don't actually have a great translation of what this word is. It might mean a branch, possibly, but that's about like the closest thing we get to it. Um, but it's, it is a pronunciation uh, uh, trick here. So Shibboleth, Sibboleth, he can't say Sibboleth. And so they'd seize him and slaughter him there at the fords of the Jordan. And says at this time, and just meaning this whole time, verses 1 to 6, throughout this battle, this conflict, 42,000 Ephraimites die in this conflict with Gilead. We'll come back to that in a minute, but it does say, verse 7, a summary of Jephthah's life here, uh, that Jephthah judged Israel for six years, and he died and was buried uh, in his city in Gilead. So we're going to circle back to uh, to that section here as we, when we wrap up. But um, the second section we have here is that, okay, so here Jephthah has his conflict with Ephraim. And again, we see you know, Jephthah has been a, a judge that's been faithful to deliver Israel from their oppressors, the Ammonites in this instance. And we get another one of these parentheses, like lists of more judges that the Lord continues to send out to Israel. And so we have uh, Ibzen, we have Elon, and we have Abdon. Okay, so these three judges come across. Uh, and just a few just highlights. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. There's probably things you could look up about, like, what's the significance of 30 and 30 and 70, you know, 70 uh, sons and grandsons and all this kind of thing. And it's true. Uh, but the, the thing is, like, what we're saying with all these numbers of people that they have and, and children that they have is that during their time of rule, there was peace. They were able to sustain peace during their time. Uh, as judges. And so Ibzen of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave them in marriage outside of his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons, and he judged for seven years. Uh, he kind of used the tactic of, uh, really it's a tactic of unity that the nations would use to marry outside of their kingdom to create peace between other kingdoms. So, you know, for better or for worse, he's using that within the clans of Israel to establish peace within these realms. Um, and, and doing so that way. But he ruled, uh, ruled Israel for seven years, judged Israel for seven years. He was followed by Elon, the Zebulonite, uh, who drove a Tesla and judged Israel for 10 years, and uh, that's all we know about him. He had Teslas, and, and that's it. Um, he died at uh, Ajalon and was born in, uh, buried in Zebulon. And then finally, uh, Abdon, son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, uh, rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. Again, uh, his sons and grandsons lived in peace, right? And um, judged Israel for uh, eight years. So we have all these judges, Jephthah, these three judges, Abdon, Elon, Ibzan. And what is the result? Judges 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. 
Um, it's kind of the culmination of the deteriorating time of, of this uh, period of the judges, and it actually does get worse, but in terms of a specific group that was oppressing them, the Philistines are the completion of that. Forty years they oppressed uh, the people. We talked about before that, that represents kind of a generation of time, and so 40 years the Philistines were oppressing Israel after judge, after judge, after judge comes and secures peace for the people of Israel, for regions of Israel, the people continue to serve the gods of the land instead of the Lord. And so uh, we have some things to kind of take away from this. Um, a couple things strike me just in general about the, like the content of this passage. And, and so two things I wanted to bring up in that regard. The tribes of Israel were supposed to be fighting with each other against the Canaanites until all the land was secured. This is, what, this is what Moses had for them to do. This is what he instructed Joshua to continue on and do. And this was actually what Joshua began during his time. They were to fight together to bring the Lord's judgment against the people of Canaan. This is a story that was told 400 years before they stepped foot in the land. The, the Lord said, listen, the time of this Canaanites has not been fulfilled yet. Okay, their, their, their evil hasn't reached its completion. I'm giving them more time to, to perhaps repent, to per- perhaps see that the Lord is good. And now that time has come to completion, and, and the Lord has brought his people, Israel, into the land to destroy, to bring God's judgment against the Canaanites for uh, child, uh, child sacrifice, for worshiping idols, and all this kind of thing. And so they're coming to remove these people from the land, right? To bring the Lord's judgment on this land of Israel, or on on the Canaanites there in the land that he gave them. And they're to be fighting together against these enemies. And we see two things happen instead throughout, uh, from the book of Joshua on through the book of Judges. First thing we see is that they've gone from a time of covenant renewal to idolatry. They've exchanged a time when they, they stepped over the Jordan. The Lord uh, uh, broke the waters of the Jordan so they could walk on dry land just as their forefathers walked through the Red Sea on dry land. He broke the waters so they could walk through and they renewed their covenant with the Lord there. And so they've gone from this high point of uh, a moment to a place of serving the gods of the land. Over and over throughout Judges we see that instead of serving the Lord, they're serving the Baals and the Astras and not knowing the ways of the Lord. It started like this, Joshua 4, verses 5, they crossed the Jordan, Joshua 4, 19 to 24. Just, I wanna, I'm going to read a few passages here to remind us where they came from before we talk about where they are. Joshua 4, 19 to 24. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. They encamped at Gilgal on the east side uh, on the east border of Jericho. This is the same region and area where we're talking about right now. Okay, Ephraim on one side, Gad on the other. So the region is like, we're talking about like within miles of each other. Okay, this is all happening in the same area. So they encamped at Gilgal, east of the border of Jericho. And with 12 stones with which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, 
as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. When they came over with Joshua, this is what they said when they came into the land. Remember that the Lord did this. Remember that the Lord brought us through this river. He brought us to this place. Remember, these stones remind us that the Lord is mighty. May all the nations know how mighty our Lord is. And so they begin their battles there during Joshua. At the end of Joshua, they come back to this place, to, to Shechem, actually, and again uh, establish covenant renewal in, verse, in chapter 24, verses 14 to 28. And so listen to this, uh, this passage as well. And just remember, this is where the people of the Lord were when they came into the land initially. And contrast that now with where we've been in Judges so far. Joshua 24, 14 to 28. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether, your, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered. This is the whole collection of the people. The people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and we, he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you and having done, uh, after having done, good, done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and, they, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it underneath a terebinth that was uh, by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all his people, Behold, this stone will be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord as he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent all the people away, every man to his inheritance. So from this moment, this moment of great unity and of great, of great victory, really, they've subdued the people of the land. They come together and say, yes, we will continue this fight. We'll continue to uh, work through the land and take care of our inheritance. And they all go to their own property. And things begin to tear apart. Their unity at the moment begins to degrade to isolation that we see here in Judges, that, that Ephraim and Gad are fighting against each other. So that's the second thing we see. They've gone from covenant renewal to idolatry. Instead of serving the Lord, they're serving the gods of the land. And they've gone from a place of unity to a place of isolation from one another. 
thinking that they're actually enemies of each other. Specifically for this event today that we're looking at, Gad, Ephra, Gad Reuben, and Manasseh, these three tribes had specific covenant with the tribes of Israel to say, we know this River Jordan divides us. It's a geographical divide between us. There are fords that we have to cross to get to and fro from these, from these places. We know that we, it's not easy to get back and forth. And someday in the future, our kids are going to look back and say, why are these stones here? Why are we over here and our brothers are over there? Why is this separation? They were fearful that something may happen in that regard. And so in Joshua 22, they ask one another, they say, hey, listen, let's make a, let's make a promise to each other. They won't forget one another. Joshua 22, 22 to 27. The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows, and let Israel itself know. It was in rebellion, uh, oops, is that it? Yeah, yeah. It was, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for, uh, is that right? I feel like I'm in the wrong room. Oh, yeah, 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 I am. Oh, good, we're good, sorry, we're good, sorry. Uh, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from uh, following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, that is the children of Gad might say to the children of Ephraim, etc. Um, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us. You people of Reuben and people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generation after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time, come, you have no portion in the Lord. <laughs> the men of Ephraim, are explicitly breaking this witness. They're going across the Jordan and saying, you guys are fugitives of Ephraim. What portion do you have in Israel? The tragedy um, of the book of Judges is less about whether you think the deliverers are good examples or bad. And I know I've, I'm arguing from this place that the, the judges in general are good examples for us, that we should look to their faith and be challenged by their faith in how they led Israel. But regardless of whether you interpret them good or bad, okay, the tragedy of the book of, of, the book of Judges is that um, the people have forsaken their covenant with the Lord. Whether their leaders are good or not, they have stood as witness against one another, that they were going to serve the Lord, and they have not. And the people uh, have forsaken their covenant with one another. They have stood at the River Jordan and said, we promise to you that we'll never forget that you're our brothers. Did you imagine forgetting <laughs> that those are your brothers across the river? The tragedy of the book of Judges is this downward spiral of their relationship with each other and their relationship with the Lord. And so two things I want us to take uh, from, from these two sections of uh, chapter 12 here. First, as we think about Ephraim coming and fighting against Jephthah, 
It's a pattern we've seen with Ephraim that they've been left out of the battle. They weren't told that we were fighting. We didn't know there was an oppressor and someone has risen up to fight against him. We didn't know. You should have called us. We would have come for sure to fight this battle. Unfortunately, we, we know this heart. <laughs> you and I, we know this heart. We want the victory, but we resist fighting with the Lord. All right, we're, we're like the disciples in the garden, right? When Jesus is about to go to the cross. And you know the scene, he, he, uh, the Roman guard comes out and they're ready to fight and they, they chop off the guy's ear and they're ready to go to war. Like, okay, okay, here it is, we're going to fight, we're going to take up arms. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what we're doing here. Let me show you what we are doing. Just a, like an hour later, right? There's a little bit of time later. He says, come, come and pray with me. When Jesus shows them how he really needs them to fight, they fall asleep and get distracted. Right? He says, just, just pray with me one hour. This is literally the, the hardest moment of my entire life to this point. Please pray with me. He comes back and they're asleep. He says, wake up and, and pray with me. And again, they fall asleep. He comes again to them and says, wake up and pray with me. And they're just, they don't even hear him. They're totally asleep. They wanted to be part of the victory, but they wanted it on their terms. They wanted to go fight somebody, right? And the Lord's saying, no, it's time for prayer. I'm about to give myself as an offering. I need you to pray with me right now. And so we've got to challenge our hearts and say, do we want to be a part of the war that God wants us to fight, or we just want the war we want to fight? Too many times we want the victory that we can see rather than fighting with the Lord in the way he wants us to fight. Um, it made me think of the, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. So let me ask you this question. What's the armor of God for? Everyone knows the passage, right? Ephesians 6. You know the What's it for? Okay. What, well, let's say, what, what are the pieces of the armor of God? We'll ask that question. Belt of truth, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, okay, breastplate righteousness, shoes of peace, okay, sounds like we're going somewhere, sounds like we're about to fight somebody, right, seems like we're going to war. What does Paul ask the church of Ephesus to do with their armor of God? What is his imperative command to them? After he says, this is the armor of God. I'll, I'll give you a guess. Pray. Pray. Yeah. He, he doesn't call them to go debate anybody, right? He, he doesn't call them to go get into an argument, right? He doesn't call them to go cut off somebody's ear. Right? That's not what he says. He says, pray, and then I need you to pray, and then I need you to keep praying. Those are his three commands after he gives you the armor of God. First, uh, verses, uh, verse 18a, so this is Ephesians 6, 18a, and I didn't, I didn't pull it up, sorry. But it says, pray at all times. So pray all the time is the first thing. Second, in 18b, pray for all the saints. Pray all the time 
for all the saints. This is what you have to do with the armor of God. Put on the armor of God and pray all the time. And pray for the saints. And finally, verse 19, pray for the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel that Paul might have words to speak it. We're to take up the armor of God and pray for each other, right? Because this is, this is a battle of hearts and minds that we're talking about here. We're not talking about a battle for land here. We're talking about not flesh and blood, but spirit. And so what is the armor of God for but to fight in the spirit? And to fight in the spirit is fight in prayer. Praying all the time, praying for one another, praying for the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel. The fight that God has called us to fight in is to pray for each other. We wish it was that our, you know, team won, right? Bucks, lions, donkey, elephant, America, anyway, all these things, right? We want our team to win, but that's not what God's having us pray for, okay? Both the teams that play all the games today are going to pray. God's not worried about that, right? He's not worried about who wins the Super Bowl this year. I don't think. Pretty sure. Unless he's got some cool plan he's going to do with it, but maybe. Okay. Anyway, his call to us in the armor of God is to pray for each other and to pray for the proclamation of the gospel. And so Ephraim's wanting to be part of this great victory, and really the victory is in being obedient to the Lord. And I would submit that Jephthah's been obedient to the Lord, and we ought to take up that mantle and pray. So this is the first thing. Ephraim wants this victory, but resists actually fighting the battle the Lord wants him to fight. And finally this, just as you reflect on judge after judge after judge after judge after judge, um, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Barak, uh, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and soon to come Samson, okay, the testimony of judge after judge after judge miraculously saving the people of Israel from their oppressors is this, that God is the faithful one. And so as the judges come and provide these times of peace, you know, you come over this victory, and on the other side of victory, we're like, okay, we'll all be good. Everything's going to be great after that. And what happens so often when God gives us a victory, the Lord wins this war, and in our hearts, we enjoy the peace we've received more than we enjoy the Lord. Right? We're like, oh, it's not hard anymore. There's comfort here. We're at peace. And God's saying, like, please remember who won the battle. <laughs> it wasn't these names, right? God is the one that raised these deliverers up. God is the one that saved them. And too often we get to this place of peace and we're like, oh, we did this. Good job. We're amazing. We're so cool. Let's serve the bales. They're neat. You know, it's like, that's how quick we, we turn. And we're celebrating peace, peace. And not remembering that the Lord is the one who granted peace. You guys know this, that like usually the time we're more fervent in prayer is the time where we're in suffering. It's natural. It's like the bent of our heart when we feel, oh, I just don't know what to do, Lord. But do we go to prayer when we're strong? No, we're just enjoying the peace. 
And so the challenge from this is, man, whether you're in peace or whether you're in uh, suffering, your, your only move here is hallelujah. Okay, you've got one move every single day. And despite whether you're in good circumstances or bad circumstances, whether you're feeling encouraged or not feeling encouraged, okay, you have one move to go in the right direction, and that's to the Lord. If you feel discouraged in a bad circumstance, guess what your only option is to do better? Go to the Lord. If you're good, you're doing great, and you're encouraged by your circumstances, guess what the best thing you can do in that moment is? Celebrate yourself? Look for the next opportunity? Go to the Lord. Praise Him. You have one single move in any circumstance, in any feeling, whether good or bad. Man, go to the Lord. Bless Him. For what He has blessed you with, we bless, right? And so, I don't know about you, but I've just been challenged by the book of Judges and, and how so quickly our hearts go to what we see and what comforts us. And though the Lord's hand is mighty and obvious at times, if we will take note of it, we don't praise Him. And so let's fight uh, the battles that the Lord wants us to fight. And let's recognize where our hope, our peace, our joy, even, the, even our difficult circumstances, where those come from. The Lord is allowing that to shape and mold our hearts. And so let our only move every single day not be inward to how we can solve a problem, how we can get from a bad circumstance to a good one, how I can go from discouraged to encouraged, but rather go straight to the Lord. Let Him be your encouragement. Let Him be the changer of your circumstances. You have no control over that stuff. Go straight to Him. He's the one that's faithful. He's the one that will raise up deliverers for you. He's the one that will bring about times of peace and times of refreshing. And so find your hope in Him and Him alone. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful uh, for this book that's been challenging uh, and encouraging. And uh, God, we're so grateful that, um, that you have won. I, the victory is complete. It is, it is done you are faithful. You have shown yourself self faithful. Uh, you have come and paid the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. We have direct access to the Father because of the blood of Jesus for those of us who believe. And God, there, there is nothing that can come against us. And so we, we thank you, God, that in Christ we are more than conquerors and in good situations and bad situations. When we're encouraged or discouraged, Lord, we find our hope and our rest in you and in you alone. And Scott, help us uh, to learn uh, from um, this time of the judges and, and, and not grow comfortable with our comfort, but rather find our, our strength in you and, and bless you for what you have done, for you have done great and marvelous things. You were the one that drew the people of Israel across the Red Sea. You were the one that drew the people of Israel across the Jordan. You're the one that tore down the walls of Jericho. You're the one that spread out this a nation that shouldn't have existed into a nation that exists. And Scott, may we trust in, in you and you alone. Not our own efforts, not our own accolades, rather than what you have provided so graciously by your mighty hand. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us, and we pray you'd be honored with the rest of our time together here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.